Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Well, thank you for reading for us, uh, Liz. Please do keep that scripture passage open. Uh, We're going to be diving into that in a moment. 
Uh, before we do, though, let's ask for God's help to understand his word. Let's pray. And Father God, we thank you uh, for these words, uh, for this moving scene of the Apostle Paul uh, addressing the uh, elders in Ephesus. And Lord, we know that through these words you address us. And so we pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. Um, give us hearts to believe and respond in, in faith and uh, move us towards obedience. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When 1796, after two terms as president, George Washington gave his famous farewell address. Now, I did not learn about this in school, but I, I believe more than likely most of you did. And so if I were to ask you um, what it was that George Washington said to his uh, friends and fellow citizens, I'm sure all of you would jump at the chance to tell me. Okay, maybe not. Uh, maybe you could outline, though, his main concerns. I don't know. It depends. Uh, I know some of you are kind of a historian, so possibly. Uh, Washington was worried about the nation. He was worried it would become divided along geographical lines, north and south, east and west. Uh, he was anxious about the threat of party politics. Uh, he saw uh, the potential for an unhealthy polarization to arise within the nation. And in addition to that, he was concerned about foreign policy, how the United States related to the rest of the world. And as I say those things, you think, well, well, nothing has changed in 200 years. In fact, over 200 years of US political history has essentially revolved around those exact same issues. Uh, but in case you're worried, I am not intending to engage in politics from the pulpit. Um, I simply bring that up because I can see a parallel here, a parallel between Washington's farewell speech and what we find in this morning's passage. Uh, ever since Acts chapter 13, the great apostle Paul has been traveling around the ancient world. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been establishing churches. And one of the pivotal places in which he's done that is the city of Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was the center of a region that was known at the time as Asia. Uh, and the church in Ephesus served as a kind of home base for Paul's outreach to that region. It was a launchpad for reaching and, and planting churches throughout the neighboring area, perhaps uh, like the church in Colossae, uh, to which Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, Paul's ministry in that region is about to draw to a close. He's going to head from there out to Jerusalem, and then eventually, God willing, he's going to take the gospel all the way out to Rome. And so here we have Paul's farewell address. Uh, his term of ministering there in that region is over. And so look at verse 17. Look at what Paul does. Uh, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Uh, and when they had come to him, he gave them this, this awesome departing speech. Uh, and in this speech, just like George Washington, he raises various concerns. Uh, he's worried not so much about the nation, but really about the church. He wants to remind them what it's all about. He wants to exhort them to continue the good work that God began within that region. And listen, that same good work continues here today. Uh, and so through Paul, God uh, is really addressing us. Uh, these are God-breathed words for us. Uh, God outlining his concerns, his priorities for his church. And God's priorities for the church never change. And so God's addressing us here, not just our elders, but, but all of us as we, we seem to be faithful to God's calling to us as his church. And so what does God say? What are God's chief concerns for his church? Uh, there's a lot here, but I think we can distill it down to two main things, two main issues. Uh, there is firstly the priority 
of speaking God's word, the priority of speaking God's word. And then there is secondly, the pattern of serving God's way, uh, the pattern of serving in God's way. In fact, those two things lie on the surface of verses 18 through 20 in particular. Uh, Although in these verses, they actually appear in the opposite order to the way that I just presented them. Uh, Paul describes his own ministry among them in this way. Look down with me at verse 18. Uh, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. And then he tells them how he lived. He says that he was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. And then notice the second thing, really, it's there in verse 20. Here he tells us what his service to them entailed. He tells them how he did not shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable and teaching them in in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus. And so Paul's speech centers on these two things. On the priority of speaking God's word, declaring God's truth. And then secondly, on this pattern of of the way that we serve. God's word in God's way. That's the priority for the church. And this is Paul's main concern for the church in Ephesus. And it's it's God's big concern for us here at West Valley today. And so let's let's jump in and take a look at each of them. Uh, Let's see how they apply to us in particular. And so firstly, let's look at the priority of speaking God's word, uh, the priority of speaking God's word. And here, really, we're addressing this question, uh, what, did God, uh, what did Paul do? What did Paul do? On a day-to-day basis, what was the substance and the heart of his ministry within Ephesus? Uh, and this is important because it reveals to us what Christian ministry really is. Uh, you see, over the years, this whole concept of ministry has, uh, I think, become confused and and expanded significantly so that perhaps even the word ministry now means both anything and everything. It's like in the world of business. Everyone is now a manager. Uh, I mean, even the guy who makes the coffee is the vice president of beverage management or something similar. And so too, it's now common to refer to almost any activity that Christians do as a ministry. Uh, We have coffee ministry. We have a bulletin ministry. One of you have even joked about taking the old pretzels after church and starting the very first West Valley crouton ministry, which uh, I would love to see what direction that might go. And now you get all kinds of ministries inside the church and outside the church too. Christian cafes, Christian gymnasiums, Christian hairdressers. Now I'm not sure what is different about Christian coffee, Christian croutons, or a Christian gym, or even a Christian hairstyle, although perhaps it won't be quite as stylish. Uh, Now, why would we do that? Why do we need to call everything a ministry? I suspect it is this, because I'm cynical. If your business doesn't succeed, you can register it as a non-profit, and then, well, you can always take donations from fellow Christians. Uh, Seriously, though, I joke, but but what is ministry? Or perhaps even ministry isn't quite the right word. Uh, The word ministry simply means service. And truly, in that sense, everything a Christian does should be ministry, because we're serving God to the glory of Christ. But what is the ministry of the church, if you will? What's the distinct calling that we have as Christians? That is the question. What is our priority as we engage in gospel ministry together as God's people? And this is the point. The priority in ministry is speaking God's word. And this is the big deal. This is what church is all about. God's word should be the center of everything. 
God uses his word to gather his church. In fact, his word creates the church just as he created the world through a word at the very beginning. And God's word is what causes us to grow. It's God's word that brings us to maturity in Christ. In fact, it is through God's word that that God draws people to become Christians in the first place. And this is what evangelism is all about. It is not simply enough to be be loving people into the kingdom. It's not even just about sharing your story of what God has done in your life. No, it's about loving them enough to, to speak about what God has done for them, to explain the good news about Jesus Christ, how he is, Uh, for all the only Lord and Savior for everyone. And so our priority must be speaking God's word. Uh, And I hope if you've been at West Valley for uh, for very long, then you'll understand this really is a a special priority. It's what we emphasize at every level. Uh, We want to get people into the scriptures. Uh, And yet, I have to ask, where does this come in Acts chapter 20? Uh, How does this speech by Paul emphasize the fact that God's word is so central uh, for these Ephesian elders? Well, let me give you a bit of an outline of the speech first. Uh, First, in in verses 18 through 21, Paul describes his past ministry in in this region of Ephesus. Uh, And then in 22 through 24, he unpacks his his future prospects as he's about to head uh, out to Jerusalem. In 25 through 27, he he returns to the past. He draws some lessons from his ministry among them. In 28 through 32, he calls the elders to an ongoing ministry in Ephesus. And then he makes these final comments in in verses 33 to the end. And I don't necessarily expect you to memorize the outline that I just gave. There's not going to be a test. Don't worry. But instead, what I want you to see here is the recurring point. In four out of five of these sections, Paul tells them what his ministry was and is about, past, present, and future. In verses 20 through 21, he he speaks about declaring, about teaching, testifying to the word of God, doing this both publicly and privately. In verse 24, he speaks about finishing his course, uh, completing the ministry he's been given by the Lord. And, And what is that ministry? Is it the crouton ministry? No, it is testifying to the grace of God. And Paul then makes a bold assertion uh, that he is innocent of the Ephesians' blood. He's done everything he could possibly do for the sake of their salvation, for the sake of their sanctification. And what has he done? How has he made such a claim? Well, verse 27 tells us, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, Paul preached God's word. And by doing that, he's telling them this. He's telling them that he's discharged his full God-given responsibility. You see, there is no question about the main task, the main substance of Paul's ministry among them. Speaking, declaring, testifying, teaching, exhorting, admonishing. He spoke. He he addressed them. Uh, And what did he speak? Well, the way of repentance and faith, the message of God's grace, the whole counsel of God, basically God's word, the good news of the Lord Jesus. Uh, The gospel contained here uh, in God's word, the whole counsel of God. Uh, the whole Bible, uh, all the way from Genesis through to Revelation. Uh, basically, Paul spent every waking moment in Ephesus expounding and explaining the Scriptures. Uh, but wait a moment, you say, well, well, that was Paul. I mean, Paul was a pretty special guy. I mean, he's pretty unique. Paul is an apostle. So can we really draw the conclusion that the same would be true of, of our ministry? Is this focus on the Word really a pattern for the church? Is it meant to continue out into the future of all ministry? Well, yes, that that is exactly why Paul is saying all this. 
Uh, remember the context here. Paul is about to leave, and, and this is what he wants to make sure the elders don't forget. That this is the chief concern before he goes away, that they don't drift from this priority. He wants this focus on the word to continue. And I say this because of verse 32. Uh, I mean, uh, Paul is about to leave. Uh, he must have been a little worried, surely, about these young believers. It's like a parent, uh, for the very first time, sending their kids uh, off into the wild world, off, off into college. In fact, it's worse than that. It's like those days all the way back when those early pioneers went out west. Uh, they would say goodbye to their family for good. Uh, and in the same way, Paul is telling them, look, this is the last time I'm ever, ever going to see you. Uh, they're going to be alone in the big, bad world, facing trials, facing trials like that huge riot we saw just a few weeks ago. Uh, he even reminds them of the threat. Uh, and another, another threat they face there in verse 29 Look at verse 29, he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then verse 30, he, he highlights an even deeper danger, doesn't he? And, and from among your own selves, this must have been awkward, mustn't it? Like when Jesus tells the disciples, one of you will betray me. He says this, he says, from amongst your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Uh, notice this isn't hypothetical. He says these things will definitely happen. Uh, the church is going to face persecution from the outside, false teaching from within, and, uh, and we have to say those threats will continue. And so where can we turn? Uh, what will keep us and sustain us and grow us through all of those challenges? Uh, what will keep us going? What will keep us growing as Christians? And it's at this point Paul reminds them what he did when he was there. In verse 31, he says this, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish every one of you with tears. And having described what he did, look at where he tells them to turn for help. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. It is that word which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among those who are sanctified. Here it is, he says. This is what you have. You have the word, God's word, the Bible. Uh, and when I am gone, this is what you will need to take care of you. Uh, he's reminding them that, that while he might be unique in some sense, the word uh, that he brought remains the same. Uh, speaking God's word in Christ is the big priority for the church. It is the one central task that lies really at the heart of all truly Christian ministry. And to drive that home, let me explain uh, what it means. In fact, let me try and apply this to our, our three big priorities. Uh, for those of you who are new, we have this, this strategic plan. It's a three-year plan. It's focused on this idea of building, which is a little bit ironic because we don't actually have a building. But yet, what we're involved in building is something more important than a physical building. It's, it's God building his church. And what are the priorities? Well, they're building up growing to maturity in Christ, uh, building in, drawing people into deeper community. Uh, it, it involves building out, that is making an impact on the world as we, as we, as we share the powerful, life-changing gospel of Jesus. And we have to say there is a way to approach each of these three things, but to do so completely divorced from this central priority. In each of these things, our priority needs to be God's word. I mean, think about this. We could certainly think about building up in a way that, that, that didn't recognize this. We could approach maturity to, to suggest that all we need really is education. 
that we just need to read more books, have more seminars, take a class. Or if we didn't do that, maybe what you feel is to grow up, we need a bit more, more counseling so that we can address some of the personal issues. Or maybe you feel like we need to grow primarily through mentoring. Godliness isn't, caught, isn't taught, it's caught. Uh, uh, the truth surely is not just something we, we engage with our minds, it's something we need to, to see other people do as well. Uh, the truth needs to rub off on us. And all of those things might have their place. There's certainly a place for classes, there's certainly a place for counseling, there's certainly a place for, for, for encouraging one another in the faith. Teaching, counseling, mentoring, uh, those things are good, but, but I think we should view them as delivery vehicles, just like that Amazon truck that's pulling up to your driveway. And what really matters is not the delivery vehicle. What matters is what is delivered in the process. What matters is that both publicly and from house to house, what people are hearing is God's unchanging word. You see, we've recently started to speak about the four Ps as the way that people grow. If you've done our growth group leader training class, I'm now going to ask you to put your hand up. You can tell me what the four Ps are. No, I'm not going to do that. But uh, what are the four Ps? They're proclamation, the proclamation of God's word. Uh, The second one is prayer depending on the power of God's Spirit. The third one is people. God uses people to do those things. And then the final one is an important one because it stands for perseverance. But let's be clear on this, that people aren't really a means of grace. In fact, our theology doesn't include that. God uses people, yes, but we have to ask how. Well, well, proclamation and prayer are the means. People are are simply who God uses to do them. Building up happens as we turn to God's word in prayerful dependence on God's spirit. Uh, The priority for building people up is is the speaking of God's word. That's the priority for Paul, and and that should be the priority of every Christian. Uh, But what about building people in? Building people in. I mean, growing people deeper into community. Uh, What does that have to do with the word of God? Isn't that just about, about people being together? loving each other, forming deeper bonds of Christian fellowship, and maybe uniting people around a common mission. Maybe maybe that's what we need. But what what does the Word have to do with all of that? Well, without the Word, we have to ask, what makes that fellowship or that mission particularly Christian? I mean, country clubs can do the same. Even cults are particularly good at building community. Uh, Psalm 2, if you've ever read it, represents one of the most unified communities that has ever existed in the world. Uh, Psalm 2 describes the nations all gathered together on a united mission. Now, the problem is in Psalm 2, what is that mission? Well, that mission is to overthrow God. Uh, The same is true at the Tower of Babel, isn't it? If you know that story in Genesis 11. Uh, And so we find it isn't just community that we want, nor is it striving side by side on some shared mission. Uh, No, it is Christian community. It's people gathered together at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And this will only happen through the word of God. In fact, this is the very definition of the family of God according to Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself said, Who are my mother, my sisters, and my brothers? Well, it's those who gather and sit at my feet, listening to my word and obeying it. And so if we're going to build people in, what are we going to use to do it? Well, we build people in through the word, through the word of God as we gather around his word in truly Christian fellowship. 
Uh, but what about building out? Uh, how do we apply this point here? I'm trying to kind of really drive this point home. I'm digging deep on this first point. But, but, but what is building out about? Uh, how are we to think about reaching the lost? Uh, we want to establish lasting connections as a church. We want to build bridges out into our community. But what are those bridges for? Well, I suppose we could say they're so that people can come in and join us. It's kind of a two-way bridge. People can come in through them. Yes, but why? So that they can belong? Well, yes, I hope we want to be welcoming. But what we want more for people than simply to feel good is we want them to be convicted of sin. We want them to repent and recognize the saving power of the Lord Jesus. We want them to hear God's word. That's what we're building bridges for. And we want to build bridges so that we can go out as well, don't we? Not just so that people can come to us, but so that we can can go to them more effectively. Uh, But what are we going out with? Well, we're going out with the word of God, the gospel, the word of God's grace, the call to to repent, to turn from sin, and to trust in the saving power of Jesus. You see, the truth is no one has ever been been loved into the kingdom of God, apart from the fact that someone has loved them enough to speak the truth to them. In fact, quite thankfully, the salvation of the world does not depend on the strength of your love. Isn't that an incredibly liberating truth to recognize as a Christian? Uh, No, the hope of salvation for the world depends on the strength of God's love, God's love revealed in the good news of Jesus. And for anyone to truly experience that love, someone needs to describe it. They need to see it clearly presented in the gospel, that this life-changing message of Jesus They need to see how our love isn't perfect. And that's why we need Christ just as much as they do. And so we find that actually every other ministry in the church really exists to support this one thing. In fact, literally anything anyone does in the church exists in some way to create a context or a platform or a forum in which we can speak and listen to the word of God. Do you make coffee, run slides? Do you welcome people into church? Do you, do you clean up after the service? All of those things are truly essential. Uh, they are good in, in and of themselves. Uh, they are done for the glory of God, and yet they play a vital role in, in supporting our bigger purpose. Without them, it would be harder to gather to hear the word of God. Without them, it would be harder to sing the word of God or to pray God's word together. Without those things, it would be hard for us to gather after the service, to speak God's word to one another, to encourage each other in the Christian journey. You see, these things are essential. Uh, They're essential, but they're essential in that they they create a context in which which all of us share in this ministry of the word together. Uh, Maybe formally teaching Sunday school to the kids or, or informally, speaking words of encouragement to friends, to family, to neighbors. And bringing something helpful that you've learned from God's word into someone else's situation. Uh, What an encouraging thing to remember, even on Mother's Day. Mothers, this is truly a a unique way, a special way that God has called you to serve your children. Uh, Not just nurturing their bodies, but but even feeding their souls by, by through God's word, pointing them to Jesus. And this is, in fact, the primary ministry God has given all of us, all in different ways, we should say. To speak God's word. That is why our mission statement as a church includes that, that, final, that final phrase that one of the ways that we grow disciples is through mutual encouragement. And this isn't something I've just made up. This is really the point we're making here. It comes from, from passages like this, Acts chapter 20, that reveals to us Paul's priority. 
This is the priority, speaking God's word. And so let's not drift from this. Amidst everything else we do, let's keep the main thing the main thing in our, in our growth groups, in our, uh, our individual lives, in the lives of our families. Uh, the priority is speaking God's word, but, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, this is what Paul did, speaking God's word, but, but in this speech, Paul also emphasizes how he did it. Uh, what he does is present himself as a pattern, uh, a pattern not just a, of speech, but also a pattern of service. And so secondly, and more briefly, let's look at this, this pattern. If the priority is speaking God's word, what is the pattern? Well, it is serving in God's way. That is serving in a way that reflects the, the grace and kindness of the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul doesn't tell us only what he did. He tells us how he did it. Uh, we could put it this way. His ministry of speaking is accompanied by a certain lifestyle. It's accompanied by a certain, a certain way of speaking, a way of acting that actually is, that fits with what he's saying. Imagine that you go out to the store to buy a can of peaches. It is summer soon, and so you're hoping to make a, a, a peaches and cream pie. This could be based on a true story. And yet you open the can only to find that it isn't peaches inside. What you actually bought looks like a can of peaches, but it turns out to be a can of salmon. Now you'd think twice about making the pie, I hope. And certainly you wouldn't bring it next week to our, uh, our lunch together after, after the service. Uh, but the point is, what is on the inside is totally different from what is advertised on the outside. And in the same way, there needs to be a correspondence with what we say and the way that we live as Christian believers. And this is the very thing that Paul is eager to highlight here. His priority was speaking God's word, yes, but, uh, but look at what he says in verse 18. Uh, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And then he tells them in verse 19 how he lived, which really is a pattern for every believer. He tells them how he served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. And I think what we see here are three of the vital elements of what it means to speak God's word God's way. We see that our service should always be humble. It should be heartfelt. And in this service, we know this as well, that we can always expect a certain amount of hostility a humble, heartfelt service amid hostility. That's what Christian service looks like. That's what it looks like to serve God's way. In fact, let's just work through those. What does it mean when we say that, that serving God's way means to be humble? Well, humility is one of the central virtues for the Christian. It's something that I think would have been dismissed in first century culture. Humility was considered at the time a sign of weakness, a sign of being being pathetic, being poor, and yet humility is vital. It's a central thing for the Christian. The word means having a lowly mindset, a lowly mindset. It's what, what Paul describes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. There he says, we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but rather to think of ourselves with sober judgment. And Paul unpacks this even further in, in Philippians chapter 2. That passage describes the great humility of Christ himself, who being in very nature God, became a man, uh, dwelt amongst us, and died in our place to serve us. A humility is, is doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. A humility is about counting others as more significant than ourselves. Humility means looking not to our own interests, but looking instead to the interests of others. 
As someone has said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less because you're engaged in serving other people. And this word humility is is essential to any kind of Christian service. In fact, what Paul is really saying here is that, that, that he wants him to understand that he is nothing more than a slave of Christ. A slave. That's how Paul conceives of his social position. It wasn't all about him. He didn't think about advancing his ministry career. He wasn't one to draw attention to the amazing impact of his awesome ministry. And this sense of humble service is, I think, something we can be so lacking today in the church. Instead of taking our cues from Christ, we take our cues from the world. And and yet Jesus is very clear on the antithesis here. His humble leadership style is is the very opposite of the the dominating style of management that, that we find among secular leaders. And so in speaking God's word, we need to serve in God's way. We need to be marked by meekness, by self-giving love, by self-sacrifice, by, by suppressing our own egos. But secondly, our service needs to be heartfelt. It should be humble, but heartfelt. Look at what Paul says. He says that he served them not just with humility, but also with tears. And now by saying that, let's be clear, Paul is not referring to his own hardship or his own suffering. He says that in a moment. But, but when Paul uses the word tears here, what he's referring to is this, a deep and genuine affection that he has toward his listeners. And this is what motivates this very speech. And this is why he's here calling together all of these Ephesian elders. He loves them. And so he's worried about them. He's worried about how it's going to go when he's gone. He has this heartfelt concern, these tears. This was a characteristic of Paul's daily ministry among them. Uh, Look down at verse 31 with me and and look at that verse again. Uh, Paul ministers to the word to them there, but but how did he do that? Uh, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. Uh, He wept as he comforted them amid suffering. He wept as he begged them to turn from their sin. He wept as he reminded them again and again of the grace and mercy of Jesus. And Paul didn't just put it on. This wasn't contrived. These weren't crocodile tears. Emotions can easily be fate, can't they? We can use our emotions to manipulate people. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? No, instead, Paul expressed a genuine affection for these fellow believers. He expressed the affection of Christ. He's moved deeply for them. He's moved by the love of Christ for his people. And just as he follows the pattern of Christ's humility, so he manifests Christ's heartfelt love. I mean, just think about the love of Christ. We have that shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And we have that scene of Jesus Christ looking out and weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And we have to ask ourselves, are we moved like this? Are we moved by by the suffering that's faced by our brothers and sisters? Are we grieved by the state of those who don't know Jesus Christ? Uh, Surely we should be, surely we must be if we truly understand uh, the message of Jesus. Uh, You see, we need to speak God's word, that is for sure. Uh, And that is going to involve talking about some hard things, things like heaven, things like hell. Uh, But it wouldn't fit at all. It would be completely incongruous. It would be warped and distorted to discuss those things as if they were trite, as if they were trivial. If you can discuss eternal life 
or eternal death without emotion or with some sort of twisted sense of joy, then, then there is something very, very wrong with you. And so we could say a lot more about this, I'm sure, but, but we have to say Christian service must be done with humility. It must be done with heartfelt love towards those that we're speaking to. Uh, in fact, these surely are the hallmarks of, of true Christian ministry. As speaking the word of Christ, but following the way of Christ, a way that involves loving, sacrificial service. Uh, but finally, before we close, there is a final thing we need to say, because serving God's way and speaking God's word will often mean facing hostility. And now this comes as a surprise to most of us, I expect. Hostility, really? Uh, people aren't going to like the way that we're humble, the way that we're heartfelt in the love that we show them? Yes, it will meet with hostility. Uh, people will hate us simply because we follow Jesus Christ. I mean, what uh, more humble and heartfelt love do you find than the love of Christ himself? And, and yet, because he showed that humility, because he expressed that love, what did they do? Well, well, they crucified him. And so Paul, following Christ, is facing the hostility that we read about in verse 19. He was serving the Lord with humility and with tears, but also with trials, trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. We read it everywhere that Paul turned, people seemed to oppose him. Uh, and this is, surprise, surprise, what Paul tells them to expect when eventually he takes this journey to Jerusalem. He knows that wherever he goes, he's going to face opposition, hostility to the faith. The faith. Uh, and that is what uh, these Ephesian elders should expect. It's what we should expect. Some people won't like us precisely because we're Christians. And we'll face hostility from outside the church in the form of either explicit or perhaps more subtle persecution. And we'll even face hostility within the church at times. Remember what Paul said there about, about wolves and about false teachers. And coming back to where we started, this is exactly why Paul is giving this farewell speech, isn't it? Just like George Washington, Paul is now concerned about the future. He's concerned about the future, not of the nation, but rather the future of the church. He knows that following the way of Christ will inevitably lead to conflict and hostility. Christ gave us a pattern, and that pattern will always include suffering as we follow the Lord Jesus. And so he calls together the elders and he gives them this charge. He wants them to stick at it. He wants them to stay in the game. Uh, come what may, he wants them to keep the main thing, the main thing, to maintain the priority of speaking God's word, speaking God's word about Jesus. Uh, but as they do that, he wants them to follow the pattern that he has set, a pattern that's ultimately set by the Lord Jesus, uh, the pattern of serving God's way, a way of humility, a way of heartfelt love, even amid hostility. And so this is God's word to us as a church. I mean, next week we're going to be celebrating everything that God has been doing amongst us. Uh, and this is truly great. Uh, let's continue to build on this amazing, solid foundation. But as we do, let's keep speaking God's word and serving in God's way. And may the word of God dwell richly amongst us as we love and serve one another in a humble and heartfelt way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these, uh, these words uh, that you have given us, words that Paul spoke, that Luke recorded, but that are breathed out for us by your spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to maintain the priority that you have said of speaking your word, 
Uh, and Lord, we pray that as we do that, you would uh, guard us from arrogance, from pride. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us follow Christ's way of, of heartfelt service. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would sustain us in these things, that by your spirit, you would empower us. Uh, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.